Sermon number 700. What in the world are we trying to do? Preached in the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown on Stewardship Sunday, November 3rd, 1974. The text is taken from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, the first chapter, the 15th through the 23rd verses. me a word of personal appreciation as I express appreciation on behalf of the entire congregation. Well, as many of you know, today we must say goodbye, farewell, to another one of our fine church families. For tomorrow, Dick and Peggy Duvall move to their new home in Sarasota, Florida. This is something that we are going to miss in not having them with us, especially in the first pew as they are when they worship with us on Sundays. This is a family that has been a part of our community and this church for more than 30 years. And I can't help but forget, Dick, on this day when we have elected new elders to our church, it was my first year here that Dick was elected first to many terms that he served in the session of this church. And also on Stewardship Sunday, when you used to stand here and make the particular remarks to the congregation against about stewardship, we ran an issue. We wish you Godspeed. We jokingly have been commenting that this past week when Dick's announcement of his retirement was in the news media on the financial page, the stock market increased 1%. <laughs> what has been Dow Jones' game dick is our loss. We wish both you and Peggy the best of everything. And remember, you always have a home in Bakerstown. Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. Our scripture lesson today is one sentence, but it is found between the 15th and the 23rd verses of the first chapter of that letter. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power in us who believe, according to the working of his great might which he accomplished in Christ when he raised him from the dead and made him sit at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, 
and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he has put all things under his feet, and has made him head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. One hundred seventy two thousand eight hundred thirty three dollars and no cents. That is a tremendous amount of money. Yet, one hour ago, in this very place, those members who were present approved for the entire congregation that amount to be our projected budget for the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown in the year 1975. Now, if you are like me and can get lost in the forest, when it is so dense and have a hard time seeing the individual trees, allow me and my Texas instrument to calculate for you exactly what that means in terms that I think all of us can understand. It means that if this budget, which was prayerfully prepared months in the making, sincerely scrutinized by the session, and as I understand, unanimously approved by those members of the congregation present, if it is to be realized, every one of the 365 days in 1975, we must receive $473.52. Let me say that again. If we are to reach that budget every day next year, every day, seven days a week, 365 days in that year, we will have to receive $473.52 every day. And of that amount, if I read the budget correctly, $320.09 will be used to pay our bills. And the remaining $153.43 will give away. In the name of our Lord, we will give it away to organizations, institutions, fraternal workers, everything under the category of the general mission of the church for services which will be rendered for our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a lot of money. And that budget, like any budget, should, not only on Stewardship Sunday, but every day of the year, provoke in each one of our minds one question. 
with that kind of budget, what in the world are we trying to do? What in the world are we trying to do? <coughs> to borrow a phrase of Paul's, which he uses in this tremendously long, hard-to-understand sentence, we are trying in the world today to be the body of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's what we're trying to do, to be the body of Jesus Christ in the world today. You see, when our God sent his Son down to this earth, he sent him in a bodily form. We don't know how tall he was. We don't know how much he weighed. All we know was that God was in Christ. God was in that physical, muscular, viral body of Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ was crucified. He ascended into heaven, sitteth now on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And when God took the physical body of Jesus Christ off of this earth, he replaced that same spirit that was in Jesus Christ in now a mystical body which is called the church. And we who are of the church are trying to be the body under the guidance of the Holy Spirit with Jesus Christ as our head we are trying to be the arms and the legs of Jesus Christ in the world today. I say we are trying. Because you see, unfortunately, unfortunately, not every church is the body of Jesus Christ today. I wish that were true. Not every place where you see a building does Jesus Christ live? You see, it's not the budget. It's not the preacher. It's not how big the building, how large the membership, how adequate the parking lot, how magnificent the choir. That's not what makes the church. What makes the church is whether or not Jesus Christ is the head of that body and whether or not the people are trying sincerely and sacrificially to be his arms and his legs in the world today. I can remember Dr. Johnny Mackay, President Emeritus, and my professor at Princeton Seminary, when he used to say to us students, just because you see a church building, do not think that Christ lives there. No, that may be only a monument to Christ. Wherever you see Christ, there is the church. It's a big difference. And what we are trying to do here, <clears throat> under the guidance of God's Holy Spirit, with Jesus Christ as our head, we are trying sincerely to be the arms and the legs of Jesus Christ in the world today. How do you do that? Under the guidance of our head, Jesus Christ, we are trying, we are trying to establish better communication. 
communication between God and man, the creator and the creation, the divine and the human. See, before Jesus Christ came down to this earth 2,000 years ago in his bodily form, people had a tremendously difficult time in communicating with God. But then came Jesus. And when the people saw Jesus, they saw God. When they listened to Jesus, they were listening to God. They communicated with God when they talked with Jesus Christ because God was in Christ. Jesus Christ established communion, communication between God and man. And he did this through his body. And today that's exactly what his body is trying to do in the world today. To help people communicate with God and God to communicate with people and we do that with what we are doing right now through worship. Yes. That's why we try to work hard. That's why we try to supply the best of music. That's why we hope your bodies are coming here so that there can be communication between the Almighty and, and, and us. God's Word through speaks to the response of reading. We respond, you see, with an anthem. God's Word speaks to us through His Holy Word. We respond with our offering. It's communication, a two-way street. No other organization, institution in the world can do that except the Church, the body of Jesus Christ, because that is the vehicle through which God Himself has chosen to communicate with man. We do this, you see, through the, the written word, through the preached word, through the sung word, through the visible words of, of the sacrament of infant baptism and adult baptism and, and through communion. We do all of this through the living word, Jesus Christ. That's how we have communion between God and man and man and God. That's what we're trying to do. To the best of our ability, have communication and to establish even better communication. Secondly, we're here to provide for conception. Conception. Remember Nicodemus, that ruler of the Jews, who came to Jesus by night? Jesus said unto him, If anybody is even going to see, understand, comprehend, enter, into the kingdom of God, which is just really another word for a real understanding of life, that person must be born anew. And then he went on to explain to Nicodemus, he's not talking about physical rebirth because nobody can enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born, but he's talking about rebirth that can come about by water and the Spirit, and unless you are born anew. You cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus said. And then when Jesus later allowed his physical body to die upon a cross, he showed to Nicodemus and to everyone else how that rebirth can take place. We are saved through the body, the blood, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what we're trying to do here.
We are trying to allow for a place of conception where the Holy Spirit works through the body of Jesus Christ, his church, to speak to people so that they can be reborn and entered into the kingdom of God. There is no social organization, no civic association, no educational institution that can offer rebirth except the church, Jesus Christ, the body of Jesus Christ. That's how people can be saved. And those of us who have been reborn, I don't care where it took place, it took place in each one of our lives because the church, someplace, provided for the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to conceive in us and allow us to become the new creations, the new Adam, the new man. That's it. And that is why we spend money. That's why we are in business. Not only for the sake of communication, but for the opportunity for people, your families, children yet unborn, to be conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and to be born anew and find the kingdom of God. We're also in business, I believe. What we're trying to do is to encourage confession. Confession. Do you realize how many problems and troubles are caused in this world simply because of personal and corporate unresolved sin? Unresolved guilt. We do that dumbest things, the most irresponsible things. We say them, we do them, trying to justify this unresolved guilt that is in our lives that we carry around with us every day. Guilt which can be resolved only one way, when God forgives a person and that person knows that God has forgiven him. I don't know why we're so stubborn, but still, the most difficult three words to say in the English language, I am sorry. I guess it breaks our pride to say that, and that's difficult. But I think we find those words so difficult because we're never quite sure who it is we should say them to when we have sinned against God and our fellow man. And also I think we hesitate because we're afraid we'll not hear those three most comforting, liberating words that there are in all of our language. You are forgiven. Now, Jesus Christ, you see, he encouraged people to confess their sinful nature, their mistakes, their lack of love for God and fellow man. How many times do you read it in the Gospels? When people come unto Jesus, when their bodies are sick, their minds depressed, their relationships shattered, what do we find Jesus saying more than anything else? Your sins are forgiven. 
And we find when Jesus says that, bodies that have been sick are made well. Minds that have been depressed are encouraged. Separations that have been caused by estrangement, they are healed. Simply because people have confessed their errors, their sins, and known that God has forgiven. That's why we're here. We are trying to help people to find the freedom and the liberation that we talk so much about in life, but which we never find unless we sincerely, honestly, confess unto God and allow him through the power of his church, his body, of which he is the head, to say unto people who do honestly confess, you are forgiven. That's what we're trying to do. And we're trying also to equip conscience. Conscience. Now we all know what the conscience is. Each one of us has one. We know it is that still small voice that is within us and which is supposed to be able to tell us what is right and what is wrong. Now, nobody really knows what all goes into the conscience. But if a conscience is going to operate correctly and effectively, it must have at least two things. A knowledge of the law of God and the knowledge and an understanding of the love of God. These two things. And if these two are lacking from your conscience, your conscience, instead of keeping you out of trouble, will get you into trouble. <clears throat> what we are here to do is by the power of his Holy Spirit, being obedient unto the head of our church, our body, Jesus Christ, is to try and help us to equip our conscience. Jesus Christ, when he came down on earth in his bodily form, basically confronted two types of people. Those who in their conscience had only the law of God and no love. And those people were called the legalists. And Jesus had a lot of trouble with them. The other group consisted of those who had a lot of love in their life, but no law of God. And they were the libertines. And Jesus had trouble helping them. But throughout all of his ministry, in his bodily form, he was trying to help these two types of people to have a conscience that was filled not only with the law of God, but with the love of God. Not only the justice, but the mercy of God. And that's exactly what we are trying to do here in this church. That's what we're trying to do here this morning. To feed conscience, yours and mine. So that when we are in the shop, at the home, at the business, in the polling booth, wherever we go, even to the uttermost parts of the earth, we may have some confidence in our conscience that it has been equipped 
by the body of Jesus Christ. And we're here to supply comfort. To supply comfort. Jesus Christ, when he went home and preached at his hometown synagogue, we read about it in Luke, the fourth chapter. He preached a sermon that day, used as his text the book of Isaiah. And he told those people a very startling thing. He said, Today the words of the scripture concerning the Messiah have been fulfilled in your ears. For the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I am to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to preach the acceptable year of our Lord. And you know, the people got very upset with him. They wanted to throw him out of town. And Jesus Christ, for the remainder of his ministry and his physical body, did exactly what he said God had commissioned him to do. And in compassion, he supplied comfort to the poor, to the blind, to the sick, to the captive, to those who are in God's big wide world. And that's what the body of Jesus Christ is to be doing today, to supply comfort. And thank God the Almighty has placed us in a church where comfort for others is an important facet. In 1975, beyond the comfort that we try to give in through this church's membership and ministry. Each week, on the average, each week, we're going to give away $1,000, in excess of $1,000, to people out there that we'll never see, people whose names we'll never know, but people who are looking to the body of Jesus Christ for comfort. You still ask, what in the world are we trying to do? We are trying to be the body of Jesus Christ. God has no other plan than to use his body in this world. God has been good to us, and God believes in us. And just as Jesus Christ fulfilled his mission and did not disappoint his Father who is in heaven when he lived in the physical form here on earth. Under Christ who is our head, we shall not disappoint him either. So help us God. Amen. Father, you've given us a big job to do, but you've not left us without the resources. Help us never to be ashamed of what we try to do in your name. And help us to remember we do it not alone. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of his Holy Spirit be and abide with us all now and forevermore. Amen.